Amy, on this podcast, we try to always offer useful takeaways. And if you learn nothing else from us, learn this useful parenting lesson by Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 are the ultimate parent hack, the best diaper to use as soon as your baby starts standing or walking. Instead of ordinary diaper tabs, they have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your wild child. Pampers Cruisers 360 makes it so easy to change your baby. Who probably doesn't stop moving just because they need a diaper changed? Just slide on to apply and away they go. And fear not, parents. Pampers Cruisers 360 offers an up to 100% leak-free fit, and they just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we say more? For Trusted Protection Trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupons, savings, and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fresh Take from What Fresh Hell Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy, and today we're talking to Ellen Kahn. She's the Senior Director of Programs and Partnerships at the Human Rights Campaign. In her role, Ellen provides national leadership and expertise in public education and advocacy efforts on behalf of LGBTQ youth and families. Ellen has shaped innovative system change work in child welfare, education, and health care. She's nationally recognized as an expert on LGBTQ family life and LGBTQ youth. Ellen is also a proud mom of two fabulous teenage daughters. Today, we're going to talk with Ellen about how parents can create a home environment that affirms and accepts LGBTQ children and how to advocate for them in the larger world. Welcome, Ellen. Thank you. I sound so interesting, don't I? <laughs> well, we like a good bio. We always say, listen, we set you up for success, but then you got to deliver. Listen, the big bio means we expect big things. Exactly. So since this is Pride Month, we want to talk with you, Ellen, about how we as parents, whether we're straight or gay, can create a home environment that affirms and accepts our LGBTQ children. Can we talk about LGBTQ and what that means and entails for people who might feel less familiar? Sure. So LGBTQ, the acronym is lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer. Those are identities that many people in our community have and claim, but it doesn't really, it's not exhaustive. I mean, there are young people in particular who identify as pansexual, gender queer, gender fluid, all kinds of language that might be newer to some people. But generally speaking, LGBTQ is meant to encompass anybody who is not cisgender, not heterosexual. I also use the term SOGI quite a bit, which is sexual orientation, gender identity and expression, S-O-G-I-E. And sometimes we're just talking about sexual orientation and gender identity. Generally, for example, every single human being has a sexual orientation and a gender identity and a gender expression. I can get stuck sometimes like, okay, I understand this, but I don't understand pansexual or I understand non-binary, but I don't understand this. I guess it's kind of not our job as parents to understand so much as it is to support because it seems to me this conversation is continually evolving. Yes, for sure. Language is evolving. I do a lot of training of folks who are, you know, my age, people who are working in child welfare, teaching in K through 12 schools or working in pediatricians offices and um, sometimes I do see a little glazing over when we talk about all the ways in which young people are self-identifying. And it's what I often say is it's not as if young people today have a totally different set of feelings and experiences and attractions that, say, I had 40 or 50 years ago. It's just that 
there's such a nuanced way of understanding and identifying and, you know, talking about what those things mean. So it's just kind of a more of, I think, a more vast language, like a deeper understanding of the complexity of sexuality and gender and gender expression. And what I like to say to folks our age is you don't really have to keep up with the language. You don't have to know every single thing and term and what it means. I think it's just being open and being curious. One of the things we talk a lot about on the podcast is like, how can we widen ourselves? How can we open ourselves up to different experiences? Sometimes we get hung up in this thing of this all seems to be moving very fast. I don't understand it. We're just trying to widen our language to be able to access the experiences our children are having versus like our children are somehow finding something brand new that may or may not be real. Right. Exactly. And it is all real. And I feel like it's a gift for this younger generation that they have some, I mean, it's part of it's, I think, being able to go online. Part of it's that LGBTQ people are so much more visible, generally much more accepted. You know, even just look at public opinion polling, there's, you know, 70 plus percent of people feel that LGBT people should have full equality, should not ever be fired because of who they are, should be able to raise children, all those kinds of things. So yeah, it's definitely (laughs) a different world. A gift for kids, for sure. And also, I think the challenge for some people, but a worthwhile challenge is finding the gift for ourselves as well. My friend, Alexandra Billings, who is transgender, was she just did a post about with her mother-in-law talking about She is transgender. She and her wife were married probably in the late 80s. And her mother-in-law was somewhat frank in talking about like, I didn't know what to make of this. I had known this Alexandra before as a different person in my mind. And that she was able to talk about like, I would have missed the gift of this life of my daughter and the love of her life, spending their lives together and having an amazing existence if I hadn't been able to tick that wideness open enough to have this experience of these two amazing people. Yeah, I think that's really smart. She's really one of my favorite people. She's an incredible speaker. If you find her, Alexandra Billings, you might know her from the show Transparent. I'll put a link to her in the show notes. Yeah, we'll link to her in the show notes. You can find her all over. Yeah, she's fantastic. I think, you know, one of the things I hear from parents pretty often, and I talk about this, is I think that for most parents... We have some idea from the time our children come into our lives of sort of what the future might hold for them. You know, we typically, if we give birth or adopt a child who has a female anatomy, we sort of have this idea she'll grow up to marry a man, have children, you know, have this kind of life. I don't mean that like it's always super rigid, but there's just sort of this, you know, narrative that most of us grew up with and that, you know, for certainly the majority of people is probably true or partially true, that is, you know, that you're going to be straight, you're going to be cisgender, you're going to marry someone of the opposite sex, you know, all these kinds of things. And I think, and I think we also expect our children are going to be healthy, they're going to be happy, they're going to succeed in school. And, you know, as parents, many of those things don't unfold exactly as we had hoped, right? Our kids, I always wanted a kid who would want to throw a ball with me out front, like I'm a jock, right? Neither one of my kids had any interest whatsoever in sports. A little disappointment, certainly not huge. One of my kids is super successful academically. The other one has struggled a bit. And we just have to accept our kids for who they are. They each have their own journey. And I think 
you know, we, it's ideal for our children if we have the same openness to um, who they're going to love, who they're going to be attracted to, how they're going to express their gender, what their gender is going to be. It might not be what we think. And that everything we are saying and doing from the time our kids can hear and are in our homes is laying the groundwork for whether they can really come to full fruition in every way, right? In terms of who they are as a creative person, who they are academically, who they are in terms of the kind of personality they have, their physical abilities. And I think that it's just hard for a lot of parents. I mean, I think it's real for a lot of parents that they're scared, they're disappointed, they're maybe just, you know, angry that they have a child who's LGBTQ. They don't want, it's shaming to them. It's against a set of beliefs they have or have been handed. They, you know, they're, maybe they're worried about their child's well-being. All these are sort of legit feelings. But at, at the, you know, even if your reaction isn't great in the moment of learning you have an LGBTQ child, literally what you say to them and the space you make for them and the reassurance you give them that you love them and you'll always be there for them, even if you don't understand, kind of like, Maybe what Alexandra Billings' mother-in-law was grappling with is, I don't understand this, but I love you and I'm going to sort of figure this out with you. I was looking at statistics for LGBTQ youth. They're at a higher risk of depression and self-harm and things like that. And I just want to be clear, not because of their identity, but due to the hostility they experience in the wider world, which is part of what parents are worried about, right? When their kid comes out, that they're going to have a difficult experience, but Anyway, I read a study saying that the acceptance of parents was actually the number one factor in an adult living LGBTQ who felt that they were living a happy life was how their parents accepted them. So it's absolutely crucial. Yeah. I mean, there's a ton of science around this. I mean, yes, I think most level-headed people would say it's a kind of a no-brainer, right? That if you support your kid, your kid's going to do better. But we, lucky us, we have decades of uh, peer-reviewed research to back up that wonderful instinct of ours, that wonderful sort of sense of what parenting means. And it is, yeah, it's um, when kids are, like our kids, LGBTQ kids, even in this moment where we've made so much progress socially and politically, and we've got, you know, celebrities and elected officials and athletes who are out proud LGBTQ folks, young people ha- are going through sort of some inner turmoil. Even when their parents and their families are pretty open and accepting, what's just happening developmentally when you're 8, 10, 12, 14 years old is not affected so much by the fact that, you know, many leading corporations would be happy to hire you. That's not your number one factor when you're nine? Yes. It's a long game. It's like, am I in or am I out? Am I same or other? Will my parents love me? Will, you know, is, you know, there, you kind of pick up shame and stigma, you pick up that you are different in some way. And so even with some of the good foundational things like supportive parents, you know, people who have made clear they will accept you, you can still go to bed at night and stare at the ceiling worrying about, you know, what your life is going to be. And part of that is that there is still a ton of anti-LGBTQ sentiment. There's still a ton of like teasing that goes on with kids, especially around like gender expression. Like there's so much policing, uh, boys wearing a pink shirt or, you know, boys a little bit get it a little bit more like feminine or non-conforming boys get a lot more teasing. They're targeted much more than girls who aren't conforming, at least in those younger years. 
But kids are like, you know, they're very perceptive around what's okay and what's not, which is why I always come back to, and it's so important to talk about research. Like literally everything you're saying as a parent around your kids is shaping whether they're going to be able to accept who they are when they, if they have same sex attraction or if they're questioning their gender, they're sort of looking for signs and making notes to themselves. I mean, I grew up in a home where, you know, was shamed for the kind of clothes I wanted to wear. I was very tomboyish. I was sort of, there was an expectation that I was going to be into boys. I mean, all those things we say like, oh, you know, he must really like you or, you know. Right. Is that your boyfriend? Yeah. And kids, even if you, you could be a very LGBTQ affirming person and still say that out of habit, or maybe you have a, there's a grandparent or an uncle or aunt who says those kinds of things. And I just, I can say from my experience, the message in those things that I heard growing up was that there certain things were going to be okay. And we're going to get positive reinforcement from my parents and other things were not going to be okay. There was no space being made for me to be essentially who I was. And I don't think my parents had any clue that some of the things they said and did were actually starting to weigh on me when I was six, seven, eight, nine years old. I think that this idea of age, when this starts and how early we need to start on this is a place where some people are pretty confused. I'm talking about myself and I want to talk about that as soon as we get back. Margaret, exciting news. I am about to have a new baby nephew and believe it or not, this will be my 13th nephew. Amy, you're ready to give up your amateur status. You're a pro (laughs) aunt at this point. Our family has seen a lot of babies. And as soon as they start standing or walking, I send them all a whole lot of Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 don't have ordinary diaper tabs. Instead, they have a unique 360 degree stretchy waistband that moves with your newly mobile little one. Pampers Cruisers 360 offer a gap-free fit that is up to 100% leak-proof, crucial once your baby is quite literally up and at them. And that gap-free fit helps prevent your baby from taking off their diaper, a habit you do not want them to get into. You can say that again. And Pampers Cruisers 360 just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we even elaborate on the need for that, friends? For trust Protection Trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use fresh to get 
$100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, Lumen dot me, and use the code FRESH at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Okay, we're back. How do we start these conversations with our kids? How do we avoid maybe some of the mistakes of the past in having affirming conversations, but also speak on a level that's developmentally appropriate for kids? Yeah, great questions. I mean, I think so many parents struggle with this. I think it's the rare parent who has like a ton of comfort talking about, you know, our bodies and traction and sex. And but I think, you know, just that example I gave a couple of minutes ago about how, you know, you could say to a four-year-old girl whose best playmate is a boy, oh, you have a boyfriend. Well, isn't that sort of like sexualizing a child in a way? And it is. And so the fear, and we do that routinely without even thinking about it. Frankly, I don't like that. And I work really hard to not do that with my kids. But somehow that doesn't really make people uncomfortable. So let's say you have books in your kids' room or your playroom that include some of the really cute books that have a two mom or two dad family, right? That's not about sex. Just like any children's book, it's about family. It's about who you love and who you live with and how you care for each other. So one of the ways you can create kind of a sense of anything's possible. And I just one caveat is, you know, whether your own kids are LGBTQ now or in five or 10 or 20 years or not, this is really important because you're also raising children mm. to live in a an increasingly diverse world where they'll have LGBTQ friends. The work in stores and in restaurants and in companies that expect you to be comfortable in a diverse environment. Hopefully the upstanders when a kid gets bullied, not one of the bullies. So you're planting seeds, not only so that if you happen to have a kid who is LGBTQ, they're getting those early messages that it's okay, but your straight or cis kids will be getting messages that we really see everyone as equal and important and valued. And it's okay to be LGBTQ. I mean, because I think so many of the kids who are sort of bullying and teasing me and continue to do that today, they got messages in their homes and maybe at their church or in their summer camp or wherever, you know, that being gay is not cool. And like, yes, you can tease the gay kids or, you know, so I think, you know, you're also cultivating the kind of social and emotional skills in your children that make them good friends to LGBTQ kids and make them good citizens. And good citizens to all people, too. I mean, listen, if your kid is bullying someone because they think they're an other, that's a problem. Yeah, I was just going to say, so, you know, part of planting those seeds is thinking about, you know, you have books that have different kinds of families, different kinds of characters, or we have a program called Welcoming Schools, and the website welcomingschools.org has amazing book lists for kids of different ages and stages across K through 12, but like a deep emphasis on the K through five. So lots of books for younger children. This is just, again, like exposing your kids, whether it's stories about kids who are from different backgrounds, cultures, just coming to the country, kids who are black, brown, kids with different abilities and experiences, like have those books in your house. And it just says to your kid, these are all possible ways of being in a family. These are all possible ways of, you know, who you might live with, how you might express yourself and things like that. I think, you know, when you're watching television with your children and there are gay characters or trans characters or there's anti-LGBTQ sentiment expressed, you know, you're going to make a teachable moment out of that. You know, you're going to say, hey, I really like 
how these two people really took care of one another or, oh, do you have any gay friends at school? Like, you know, like just use it as a way to have a conversation with your kids. Sometimes not the bullying, but the lack of support and the disdain might come from our own extended families. And I wanted to talk about if you're a parent of an LGBTQ kid who is coming out, for the parent, there's kind of your own coming out experience in a way, right? And I have seen it expressed, the sort of like, okay, you can be who you are, but can you tone it down in front of grandpa because I don't want to get into it. That's maybe not the best approach. Like, How do we support a parent who's in that situation where the extended family is a problem? Yeah, it's really tough for me, I would think, at the center of those decisions is what's going to help my kid you know, be okay? How do I reduce or eliminate toxicity, stress? I think it's reasonable that when a child first discloses who they are, that a grandparent or a family friend or even a parent struggles a little bit. But there's a difference between struggling and having, you know, a private conversation in your bedroom between the parents when the kid's asleep to say, I'm trying really hard here. I'm really having trouble with this. You know, what do you think? Do you think we should maybe find a support group or, you know, do you, you know, is there someone we could talk to or why do you think this is so hard for me? Uh-huh. But you're not doing that in front of the kid, right? Like they're, you know, parents and grandparents and other family members, you know, find the space, find the right space to talk about what's hard. Maybe you need a good cry. That's okay. It's just literally what you're saying to your child and what you're doing in front of your child is important. They're like what they're hearing with their little ears and what they're seeing with their little eyes and what they're feeling with their little heart is really important. And I think it's a journey. I think that, you know, a lot of parents and grandparents are initially, you know, rejecting or afraid. Maybe they do worry that their child's not going to have a happy life. Depends on where they get their information and what they believe right. and who they know, right? I mean, maybe they don't know a trans person. Maybe they don't know a bisexual person. Maybe they don't know a lesbian. So like, they're just thinking the worst. And I think many, many folks move along. I think it's rare that a parent or a grandparent literally gets stuck in that place of, I can't do this, or, you know, being gay is a sin or whatever that reaction is. And it's, there's a little time, there are lots of resources, there's lots of support. And you have to, you know, decide what's your patience here. Like, you know, if grandma's coming over or lives with you and they refuse to use your kid's pronoun or they, you know, shame your kid. Like, it's really tough, but I have seen parents draw a really hard line and say, you know what, we're not coming home for Thanksgiving this year. You're not coming over every Friday night anymore until you accept my child for who he is, for who they are. I've seen families, you know, have to really restructure themselves. But more often, I see families move into a place of acceptance and love. And I think part of the work of the immediate family, we were talking to Susan Katzmiller about interfaith families, which I think have a lot of some of these same issues. And we have some special needs stuff going on with our families. Some of the same issues, right? I don't believe that. That's not a real thing. That's outside of our understanding. The thing that's going on with your kid is real, whether it's a illness, a special need, a different faith. And she talked about the idea of a sacred circle and creating a sacred circle around your immediate family. And within that sacred circle, these are the rules. And that people your invite into our sacred circle is understanding what happens within it. And that's how you get invited in. And like, we may visit you outside of our sacred circle, but we come back into this space where we protect each other. We respect each other's needs, abilities, 
whatever. We respect everything that people are within here. And I think if you set that sacred circle up in a smart way, slings and arrows can come in from the outside, but your kids have a sense that like in here, we respect each other and come at us world like we're ready for you. And I, I think that resonates with me with this issue too. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's essentially what you do is you, it's like, who's with us, who has our back? And those are the folks we hang out with. I mean, it could be, let's just kids who might come out as trans and kids do come out as trans sometimes as young as, you know, three or four, as soon as they can articulate how they feel, certainly elementary school age. Part of that sacred circle that is kind of coming into shape might include not just your key family members, but which of your kids' friends' parents are going to say, you know what, like, I don't want our kids' friendship to dissolve over this. You know, I have your back. And that family goes home and they read and they learn and they're like, okay, I get this. This makes sense. And, you know, because I'll tell you, honestly, kids themselves don't scratch their heads a whole lot when they learn very simply through a book like, let's say, I Am Jazz, that's just about, you know, Jazz Jennings when she was six and, you know, felt like knew she was a girl, even though she had a boy body and, you know, like was able to then become the girl she knew she was. And, you know, like literally kids get a story that's nice and concrete like that. And it's often the parents who struggle. So a sacred circle might include, you know, some of your kids' friends and their parents who have, you know, played with you and played soccer together or hung out outside in the front lawn together Sometimes it's a really just a couple of key family members. I think that's a, I really like that concept a lot. And look, there's a lot of pain sometimes when certain folks jump ship or feel betrayed. People, it's, there's a loss to parents. I mean, I've talked to parents of, of LGBTQ kids who not only, you know, went through that journey with their kids and saw their kids struggle until they got to the place of really landing and feeling loved and accepted, but the parents themselves lost some friends. Or family, yeah. It's real. <laughs> it's hard. That's right. I don't want to present it as like, create a sick of circle, happiness ensues. Like, that's not how life works, unfortunately. Right, right. One other thing really quickly wanted to mention, if we just look at sort of the research, there are more and more data about LGBTQ young people. Like the CDC, every two years, they do a national survey of high school students. And a few years ago, they added sexual orientation and gender identity to the demographic section. So now not only can we get a better sense of like how many kids are identifying as part of this community, but we can compare their experiences to non-LGBTQ kids. There are also a couple other national surveys. And what we're seeing is like roughly nine or 10% of young people are identifying as not heterosexual, so lesbian, gay, bisexual, or questioning their sexual orientation. And about 2% or so are identifying as transgender or non-binary, meaning not cisgender. And we also see that the average age of coming out has dropped dramatically, say from like 1990, where it was about 18, 19 years old, to now somewhere between 14 and 16. That's for sexual orientation. I think we don't have enough data, but because gender identity is often sort of, you know, you can really know your gender identity. It's kind of solidified at much earlier ages than, say, sexual orientation, where your awareness of your sexual orientation is usually pre-adolescence, when you start to feel actual, like, attraction. And you can, you know, those sort of butterflies in your stomach, that tends to happen a little bit later. But the, so we have this, on one hand, we have this 
change where young people, I think, again, because there's so many more role models, there's literature with LGBTQ characters, there are TV shows, just general acceptance, they can sort of claim at a younger age, this is who I am. So there, I see that positive because the burden of carrying a secret, we know from research as well, wears on your mental health. However, the flip side of that is a 14-year-old boy who comes out as gay at home and is accepted, great. But a 14-year-old boy who comes out as gay at home and is literally thrown out on the street, which does happen, is then a 14-year-old boy on the street. And I talk a lot about how in my generation, most young people, most LGBT folks, we just put our heads down and try to like get through high school so that at the very least, you could be self-sufficient, right? You would get a job. Some people put their heads down until they got through college because they couldn't risk losing their parents' financial support or the security of their home life in order to go to college or whatever their sort of dream was. And that's not like for this younger generation, of course, it's true for some people who are terrified. I mean, in our survey of teens a couple of years ago, 50% were not out to their immediate family. And of those 50%, half of them had heard lots of negative things said at home about LGBTQ people. So they were afraid to disclose within their own family. So they're carrying this burden, like they know who they are, and they're carrying the burden. Because the burden is great if you are rejected by your family, if you're shamed, othered, and at worst, thrown out of the house. I mean, you can't manage, you can't survive it in a healthy way at 13 or 14 or 15 or 16. Take the temperature, the sort of climate of your home as a safe place for LGBTQ people. Like, what's the conversation like at home? What's the tone? Are there conversations about LGBT folks? Are there... Do you talk to your children openly about all the different ways you might feel? Like I used to say to my kids, I'm a lesbian. I, of course I had, I was tuned into this in a way that most non-LGBT parents might not be. But I would say, you know, when you grow up and you love someone, right? Or if you get married or, you know, things that are not about assuming you're going to be heterosexual, not about assuming you're going to have certain likes and dislikes. So even just like, that kind of language is, again, like creating a home that sees all possibilities for young people and doesn't put kids into this sort of like rigid, you know, trajectory of life. Like you're going to be this way, act this way, wear these clothes, like these things, like these people, marry these people. Because you don't necessarily know if you have an LGBTQ person living in your house. You do not know. Let's take a break and we'll come back and explore that a little bit further. More and more, you hear about the importance of electrolytes as part of staying hydrated because you need the sodium and the potassium, not just the water. And whether you're looking to hydrate during a workout, while traveling, or at the end of a long night, Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes have got you covered with over 65 trace minerals, 7 essential vitamins, and coconut water powder. Crisp and refreshing and without any sugar, this is hydration powered by Sports Research. They're little packets you can just grab and take with you to mix into your water bottle on the go. My favorite flavor so far, Amy, gotta be the cherry pomegranate. Interesting. My high schooler likes the lemon lime, and she keeps a few handy in her backpack for days that she has practiced after school. These electrolytes have the sodium and the potassium that you need to go with it in the optimal ratio for daily hydration. 
Visit sportsresearch.com and use code WHATFRESH at checkout for 50% off your purchase of Hydrate. That's sportsresearch, S-P-O-R-T-S-R-E-S-E-A-R-C-H, sportsresearch.com, and use code WHATFRESH for 50% off your Hydrate electrolytes order. Hello, Hellions. You know we listen to a lot of podcasts that aren't our own. And today we want to tell you about a podcast that really speaks to us and will speak to any parent of a child with special education needs. The podcast is called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. One of my kids has an IEP, and I found this podcast so validating and so helpful. I feel better equipped to advocate for my child's educational needs now. This podcast is helpful for parents in many different situations, whether your child already has an IEP or you're just starting to wonder if they might need extra support in the classroom. Juliana has content for kids of all ages and for kids who are learning English as an additional language as well. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. I think this idea of keeping our homes open to the widest possible range of experience for our kids is good. We also, I live in New York, Amy's a New Yorker. We live in areas where there's a lot of acceptance and there's not a lot of, I would say, pushback. I feel like we've gotten the memo where we live for a shorthand of how to say it. But I know we have a lot of listeners who live in different places where that is not the case. What about people who might believe that opening the world to their kids and saying, you know, all these choices have equal value encourages kids to become LGBTQ and they feel worried about that? If I offer my kid all these choices, they're going to choose something. I want to offer them the right choices only. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean... Maybe you sort of also want your, you know, like you're hoping your kid wants to go to like this cute little liberal arts school that you went to or that. Right. Right. Or they're going to be the captain of the football team like you were. Yeah. I mean, if you only talk to them about the things that are okay with you, you're limiting the world. I think, well, one thing I just, and I don't, you don't mean this literally like choice, but I do want to just take a teachable moment because it's important to remind folks that sexual orientation, gender identity are not things you choose. It's just sort of the blueprint we're born with, you know, and we either get to kind of self-actualize in every way or suppressed and repressed and can't. So, you know, for me, I think about, I can draw from my own experience, right? You know, I grew up in a fairly traditional home in the 60s and 70s where the only quote-unquote choice that I saw in front of me was compulsive heterosexuality, Girls are feminine, wear these clothes, do these things. And I was like not fitting into that. And as much as my parents and the people around me were only showing me that, it didn't matter. It couldn't change me to be who they thought I should be. Right. Just in the same way that by even opening the door to say to your children, some girls marry girls, some girls marry boys. Like, that's not suddenly going to mean that your girl's like, oh, great, I'm going to marry a girl. Right. I was just about to put on this dress and do this thing. But now that I see this, yeah, I've changed my mind. Yeah. And I think it's just kind of like sh- making sure your children know that there are different kinds of families, for example, like or that 
you know, that there's so many different ways to be a boy or to be a girl. And some kids don't even feel exactly like a boy or a girl. I mean, to me, that's just stating a fact, right? Some people are Jewish, some people are Catholic, some people are, you know, Christian, some people are atheists. It's like, it's a fact of the world we live in. It's not necessarily saying, and you, my child, you will only be Catholic. Well, I'm getting two main takeaways from our whole conversation today. One is that your discomfort as a parent, which may occur, is a journey, something you're going to move through. You might be uncomfortable with having an autistic child too, but you're going to have to get through it, right? And similarly, this is a process, but that the support for your kids can come even when you're still working through your discomfort. You don't have to get okay with it before you protect them. Yeah. I mean, if you say to your kid, like, you caught me off guard. I'm not sure I totally understand, but I love you. I'm here for you. Like to say that is literally something that could save your kid's life to just get that much out of your mouth. And that's the other takeaway I had from this is that, you know, we can fear that the world won't be kind or easy on our children who are different, but it is our parental words and actions that are the best line of defense. We're going to protect them the most from the things we fear if we support them. Yes. And I love that you just said that because for all your listeners who have younger kids, I think we all worry, like if I have a child who has a, you know, a physical disability or has a learning challenge or whatever the case might be, like we worry that our children are not going to be loved or supported or safe. Well, all of us have the ultimate responsibility to raise our children to be nice, kind children, right? So that if my kid is bi or trans or lesbian or queer or gender fluid or whatever, and your kid is not, but was raised to be kind to all people and raised in a family where there was no patience for anti-LGBTQ name calling or, you know, that's creating a better world for my kid. So, you know, it's all of us together chiseling away at the reason parents are fearful. Let's just not raise bullies anymore. And I know schools are doing a lot more. I'm not saying people literally raise bullies. But I think when we interrupt some of those behaviors in our kids, it helps. I know schools more and more are really trying to address, you know, all kinds of bias-based bullying, including anti-LGBTQ bias, including bias about race or other things. So, you know, I think we all can do that for one another's kids. Can you point us to some resources places people can go. They've heard our conversation and they're like, I want to dig a little deeper on this. Yeah. Well, for folks who are listening, who have a kid who, you know, maybe you're observing something or the kid has shared something and they are either already identifying as LGBTQ or they've shared something about their sexual orientation, their identity makes you think they might be PFLAG, P-F-L-A-G.org is a national organization that has tons of chapters parents of LGBTQ kids, and they have support groups, and they're just great resources. There's also this huge Facebook group called Serendipity Duda slash Mama Bears. <laughs> and it's uh, 20 plus thousand mostly moms of LGBTQ kids who share online. It's gorgeous. It's a beautiful slice of humanity to see how these parents share with one another, support each other. Some folks come into that just starting their journey and terrified. And they take a risk and they're vulnerable and they say, I don't understand. My 17-year-old child is telling me they're trans. I don't understand. I'm scared. And then, you know, two months later, they've just gained so much wisdom and support and insight. And so that's a resource. There are a ton of books. I mentioned Welcoming Schools, which has a lot of resources for parents, especially of younger kids. And if you have younger kids, 
the welcoming schools is like a kind of program you would hope that your kid's own school principal would say, wow, we need this in our school. And it, so in addition to things like book lists and like frequently asked questions, program itself is a really great program for schools. I think those are some of the things that, that just that come to mind right away. Awesome. And we'll link to all of those. Yeah. And Ellen, tell us where we can find you on the internet. Oh, I can't tell you that. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> no, tell us where we can find you right now. If we have muffins, we want to bring to you. I love that. Well, I work at the Human Rights Campaign and you can find me. There's information about me on the Human Rights Campaign website. I'm not a big social media user, but I am on Facebook. That's about it. Uh, okay. <laughs> We'll find you there. One and done. Well, thanks so much for talking to us today. This was such a great conversation. Thank you, Alan. It was my pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was... Steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talk to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk, and let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model. So that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.